Hey everyone, since this episode is on the shorter side, I wanted to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who has been supporting me through this journey of creating a podcast, especially those of you who have been contributing to my Patreon page. You know who you are. It means so much to feel your support and it helps fuel my enthusiasm to continue producing episodes each week. I also want to say thanks to those following this podcast through social media platforms, in addition to the five-star ratings and written reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps this podcast gain more viewership, and that's the goal, to make classical musicians more accessible and to provide an opportunity for our stories to be heard. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Please keep sharing with your friends and family to keep this podcast growing, and you can always reach me at hideandmusicstand at gmail.com. And now, on with the show. Oh, hey there, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Tommy Glass, who is a baritone who has appeared with Houston Grand Opera, Minnesota Opera, Atlanta Opera, Des Moines Metro Opera, and Arizona Opera. He was recently a grand finals winner at the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions, and we'll be talking about bourbon. Welcome, Tommy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Patty. I'm excited to be here with you. The first time I actually ever met you was actually more like I heard you on stage. Yeah, I think you were in the pit for the Barbara Seville at Rice Mm -hmm. um, back when I was in grad school there in my second year. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time singing a main principal role. uh, Yeah, he was Figaro and he was amazing. And the thing is, I mean, when I say met, I didn't actually really meet Tommy until maybe we did a class together with Chapman Welsh. That's right. Yeah, that's the first time I met Tommy really in person. And he's just such a kind person that, you know, and I always liked your projects, but... Thank you, Pat. <laughs> that's very kind. But I also really got to know you once you started dating one of my friends, Gabrielle. And now you guys are fiancés and about to get married in August. Indeed. Congratulations. Thank you. We are very excited. We've had to replan a lot of our wedding and... Yeah, um, with COVID, right? Yep, of course because that's, you know, the state of the world that we are in. But regardless of where or how or what's going to happen, we are super excited. Yeah, and I am too. Full disclosure, Tommy and Gabrielle and I have, we actually all have been quarantine buddies together during COVID-19. Gabby and Tommy moved into an apartment that actually is about a couple blocks away from where I live. And so I helped them move in and it's just been really great to have the buddy system during this time. And so we We've been safe, we've been very clean, and no one has spread any COVID, so we're doing this recording live versus my other episodes where we did it over Zoom. So yeah, it's a a whole new can of worms here. Coming at you live from Minneapolis. Yeah. (laughs) So Tommy, tell me your funny story. Back in January, my aunt and uncle decided to throw us Gabrielle and I a bridal shower. They have a very nice house, and their basement was basically turned into like the party area, and they have a bar, and one of my uncles was the bartender and he was spreading lots of bridal cheer. My beautiful fiance had some bridal cheer and <laughs> all I know is I was having a conversation kind of across the room and I look over and I see my beautiful, amazing fiance. 
fiance picking you up, Patty. Yeah. And I think flinging you over the shoulder and trying to <laughs> fireman carry you up the stairs. I don't or remember. I just remember somehow I lost gravity. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And uh, I think you were squirming and not terribly happy about it. But, no. Um, no. I was kicking and screaming for sure. That sounds. Saying, Gabby, put me down. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Gabby, no, is, is, is that's a phrase in, in our lives. So that's my funny story of you is getting woman handled. Exactly. By my, my fiancé. Yeah, she is... She may be small, but she is stinky. Stinky? <laughs> <laughs> she definitely has a lot more strength than one may initially assume. Yeah, that was a fun night. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I will always remember you, Tommy, for introducing me to cigars. Oh, uh, yeah. So, my dad always told me when he turned 80, because my dad is super, super, super healthy, he was like, when I turn 80, I'm gonna eat Fritos every day and smoke a cigar. And I've always been curious. I'm not I'm not a smoker. I don't really enjoy that lifestyle. However, I do enjoy cigars every now and then. And it's all because of Tommy Glass. <laughs> I don't know whether I should be honored or ashamed. You should, you should, I... <laughs> you should be honored. You should be honored. It is definitely something in life that one needs to experience. I would wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. Yeah. I would just say if anyone is out there curious, wait until you're 18. <laughs> yes. When you are legally able. Yeah. And have a nice glass of bourbon with you because well, I... then you should wait till you're 21. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You are not wrong. You should wait until... <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, wait till you're 21. Have that little glass of bourbon with you and a cigar. The bourbon tastes so different with a cigar. And I did not notice this or realize this until I started smoking cigars. There you go. And also make sure to use a lot of Listerine afterward and uh, hydrate, get hydrate. Food. Yeah, make sure. So and smoke responsibly, I guess. <laughs> that's Cigar Talk with Patty Ryan and Tommy Glass. All right, we're done. All right, done. <laughs> anyway. So, Tommy, are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Always. Okay. Mozart or Beethoven? Mozart. Of course. <laughs> Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Prokofiev. Okay. I guess, is that kind of a, of course, one, two? No. Shostakovich? Okay. Netflix or video games? Video games. Yep. Basil or cilantro? Basil. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Ooh. Mm. Harry Potter. Symphony or chamber music? Oh, wait, that doesn't apply to you. Symphony. Okay. Does that apply to you? Should I edit this yeah, question? Yeah. No, 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 no. That's fair. I, that's like a recital versus a chamber music, you know? Like, okay. Or, 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 excuse me. Like opera versus... Yeah, like an opera versus a recital. Like a... a yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. All right. So you prefer opera over recital? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite practice room? Does it matter? I guess it matters for you guys, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I sound so ignorant. wherever my piano is, honestly, I'll always be partial to the good old like 1100 rooms at Rice. Right. That's where the, the real the magic happens. The magic happens. <laughs> Favorite professor shout out? Stephen King. He's the man. Uh, for him. people who know or who don't know, it's not Stephen King, the author. Author. No, I've had the fortune of studying voice with him for six years now, um, ever since I went to Rice for grad school. And then after, I've just stuck with him. And he, in my opinion, is one of the best voice teachers in the United States right now. He's produced tons of just great singers, and he teaches the truth. There's no baloney in there. It's all just straight. This is how you sing. This is how the greatest of all time sing. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Most inspired musical hero, any genre. 
Yeah, Bon Scott from ACDC. He yeah. Was their first lead singer. Yeah, uh, totally. He was the dude that sort of brought me from being like, well, music's awesome to like, whoa. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. I, well, okay. Awesome. <laughs> Most transformative performance experience? Vatsak at Des Moines Metro Opera last summer. Uh, in the audience for, I'm assuming that's what you're asking no or, not necessarily oh well yeah i would still say that Another. yeah Vatsek, uh michael mays was the soldier married to marie who is sarah lomelli gartland and she was wonderful they were it was just fantastic singing all around and my first time seeing the opera and i vaguely knew the plot but i just walked away like so impressed and inspired yeah, so, is is uh, a Webern, right? Berg. So it's Berg. Yes, it is atonal opera. It's from the Second Viennese School. It's the story about a man who is a soldier in the military and basically has experiments performed on him and um, kind of loses it and ends up murdering his common law wife on the banks of the river after and lo- just losing it. It's very dark, but like it's opera. It's oh, it's so cool (laughs) okay nice did you want to say one that you were a part of sure uh so for me the most transformative musical experience was actually the second opera i was ever in okay my undergrad the university of st thomas here in st paul does not have any capabilities for performance on campus in regards to like opera or vocal performance there's just no concert hall no okay no there is not And so my voice teacher, since I was very interested, suggested that I audition for Minnesota Opera Chorus. Mm -hmm. And I sang a couple arias for them, and I was very, very green. I was a sophomore in college when I sang, so I was like 19, and then they hired me for the following season. The first one I did was Così Fan Tutte, which I'm not crazy about to this day. Really? (laughs) Yes. Uh, And the second one I did was Silent Night, which was the premiere of it, and it went on later to win a Pulitzer Prize. And it's the story of the Christmas truce in World War One, and I was fortunate enough to be a, one of the standout soloists from the chorus, and that performance made me realize that I have to do, like, opera. This is, like, an important real thing yeah. that has real meaning and value in today's society. Even talking about stories that happened literally 100 years ago, you know, if not hundreds of years ago. Right, it's right. all relevant. History is cyclic. Something like that. Yeah. What's the next piece you'd like to learn? Or should I say next role you'd like to learn? <laughs> the next role in my heart of hearts that I'd like to learn would be Don Carlo, probably. Can you tell me what opera that is? But so Don Carlo is an opera by Giuseppe Verdi. The role, the baritone role that I would learn is Rodrigo. He sings this death, ar- it's actually like two arias as he's dying. And it's some of the most sublime music in the entire world. Uh, it's the story of Spanish Inquisition and all the drama of, you know, saving Flanders and all the fun that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Very long story. It's opera, you know, there's yeah. lots of singing. It's bel canto. It's beautiful. Yeah. But, I've known the role for how it works for quite some time, and I think I'm finally at an age where I can do it justice. Great. I think. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that. If One that, day. We'll when see. that, when that happens, or sorry, <laughs> if, when it happens. I do have a slight side question concerning opera. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes they think that opera is a bit too over the top. 
or something like that. That, you know, you just were describing a, a role that had two arias in which someone is in the middle of dying, right? So how do you reconcile the the kind of, okay, this is really not real. This is not saving Private <laughs> Ryan. This is like really not realistic. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's something that every single thing I've ever performed, you have to wrestle with that in some capacity. Whether it's something that was written two or three years ago where the drama's happening in real time and you're not singing, you know, two arias as you die. Versus going all the way back to the capo form with Handel, mm -hmm. where you sing eight minutes, but you're only saying five or six sentences. Sure. And right. everything in between. So you what's know? that about, right? So, right. And I think that each have their own challenges, of course, because, you know, as a performer, you're expected to motivate every action that you have and every breath that you take needs mm -hmm. to have some sort of motivation as to what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. You know, there's pluses and minuses of each. And I think opera is over the top. Of course it is. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're standing up there screaming with a gigantic <laughs> orchestra right. in costumes in front of a bunch of people. There's nothing realistic about that. Right. Like, I think it all has to kind of go along with how far you're willing to suspend disbelief. Mm -hmm. And I think that honestly, as a even as an opera performer, I go to some operas where sometimes I just can't follow them there, and it's it's just over for me. It's not yeah. I, I lose interest and okay, so go from there. So there is a spectrum. Oh my gosh, of course, it's like everything else. It's like every other genre of sure. music. I think sure. like I know that for me, for example, Monteverdi wrote some beautiful operas. Maybe I just haven't seen the right production. I don't know. I don't find them particularly captivating, right. and it's that's okay you know that's, whereas that's your taste yeah, yeah. exactly whereas yeah. verity like that's it that that's, speaks to me that's yeah. my stuff yeah so totally i see yeah yeah thanks for answering that mm -hmm. so tommy how did you become a baritone so i grew up in Edina, Minnesota. It's a suburb of Minneapolis. And Minnesota has a very strong choral tradition. Yes. Um, and so as long as I can remember, I was always involved with the singing, you know, whether it was in elementary school and then in choir later. And I was in band for a while and ultimately decided that singing was really what did it for me. Yeah. And I went to college wanting to not perform, but rather be more on the administrative side or on the logistical, like managerial side of stuff mm -hmm. in the music industry. And part of the curriculum for that was taking voice lessons. And of course, you know, I'd never really studied voice. I'd taken, you know, an odd few lessons here and there over the years when I had something to prepare for, but it was never something that I just did. And I loved it. It was super interesting to me. My teacher, after about a little shy of a year, Year or so kind of the end of the first year was like you know you could maybe think about going to grad school for something like this if you wanted to hmm. and I was like huh that's interesting and so I started looking at it next year auditioned for the opera and just began to start to fall in love with the art form I ended up committing to go to grad school at Rice and just continued to fall in love with it and like I'd always wanted to perform but I guess I just didn't have that validation that oh no you can actually do this this is a legit option this isn't just yeah. a pipe dream for you right and and once I had that security, I just didn't look back. But it was definitely, I mean, I never saw an opera. I was in about like eight or nine operas until I actually saw one in person. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Is that normal? <laughs> not at all. Okay. Of course not. No, not, nothing is normal about that. It was never something I enjoyed doing. I loved performing. I, I did musicals in high school, of course, and was in all sure. the shows and stuff. But like, but the... had you seen a musical before? Oh yeah, tons. Oh, okay. So tons, it was tons, just tons, opera tons, tons. that, okay. Yeah, of it's course. It's not like you just jump into something and then say like, what am I doing? Oh, no, 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 no. no. But like, 
like, what am I doing here? you know, I think our generation, we grew up with YouTube. I could go on sure. and like listen right. to 100 years of recordings. And yeah. that was enough. out of context. Of course. Right. But That's like I would see operas. I'd throw it on or something like that, like once or twice. Like I listen like La Boheme. But like sure. I would never sit down and listen to the opera like we did Macbeth once. I'd never actually like sat down and learned Macbeth. I barely learned the music. I showed up and usually they kind of taught it to you and I was quick enough to pick it up and then you go on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, super weird. Anyway, it's <laughs> <that's> a long <laughs> tangent. <laughs> no, no. It's, that's what this podcast is kind of about are the tangents, there to be go. real. <laughs> so your current projects or projects that were there before COVID suspended everything. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about what you were involved in or what is going on? Or Yeah. Sure. So this past year has been my first year out of apprenticeship programs. It's part of the infrastructure that a lot of opera companies in the United States have for young singers kind of coming up through the ranks. And I work with an amazing manager who is able to facilitate filling out a pretty solid schedule for somebody the first year out of a program. Most recently I was in Des Moines, you know, you, mm -hmm. you went through the laundry list, but until COVID hit, the last gig I did was doing a cowboy opera down in Phoenix and in right. Tucson. And after that, I was scheduled to uh, make my role debut as Papageno in the Magic Flute with Houston Grand Opera, which unfortunately was yeah. canceled. And I was supposed to go make another role debut as Eugene Onyagin at Wolf Trap, which thankfully has not been canceled, but rather completely reworked. And that's yeah. what I'm currently preparing for. We're taking off to kind of do this crazy social distance opera experiment. I mean, I'm so impressed that Wolf Trap, they're not just cutting their losses that they're actually really trying to make it work for you guys or work for the festival too absolutely well yeah and the opera really is the only thing going on they canceled all of their wolf trap is a national park and they have a huge summer schedule and it's you know i've seen american ballet theater do um but um but um but um oh uh, prokofiev uh, uh romeo and juliet yes that one i've seen them do that i've seen everything from brandy carlisle was supposed to be there this <laughs> summer you know it's sure. all sort all sorts of stuff all over the map but that was all canceled so the opera is going to be they have taken every single precaution they can possibly take and then gone above and beyond what's right. recommended right. and so and these performances are live streamed right so no audience members so um this has changed since we talked i don't know so no they will be filmed i'm honestly not sure if it will be simultaneously like simulcast mm -hmm. but at the very least they will be filmed for streaming and for that sort of stuff but I'm just not positive that that'll be at the very same time that they're being filmed right. but it'll be a really interesting challenge because you know for us we were talking about opera being over the top I'm trained to act in a specific, in a certain kind of way right. and you know this is going to be very up close and very in your face and that's a totally different method of acting uh, up close meaning that the video is going to be up close that you yes. are not I just want to clarify that's not that you the, yeah, you, yeah. the, <laughs> yes, the singers you. are going to be ooh, vocalists are going to be up close versus you know sitting in the back of the house and looking at somebody you know half a mile away on stage right because so. yeah that so how much of your training is also acting? Um, did you take acting classes at Rice or? Yeah, actually we did. It was offered a few times a week. We usually did movement with it sometimes too. But Rice, the Shepherd School has just an amazing, amazing program. And they had some local actors come in and work with us and assign us scenes and do some work like that. But it actually really wasn't until I got to my apprenticeships where I was able to have these one-on-one -on -one coachings with 
with acting coaches. Got it. And I'm somebody that I want to try it and I want to do it all at once. And I worked with a couple guys who were able to really just sort of like, okay, slow down. This, then this, then this, then this. Sure. And I just had to learn the technique. You know what I mean? Got it. And so... And these actors... I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. These actors were stage actors? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So when I'm thinking about your acting that you're going to do at Wolf Track, that's more like... Film. Film acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that'll be the new challenge. And that's something that Wolf Trap is offering us some oh yeah guidance or some sessions on some some film how, acting yeah, yeah exactly interesting. tips tricks mm-hmm. that's that's interesting mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. any other things that you wanted to no there's nothing after that opera is funny in that i can only speak as far as i am allowed to but that's it of course of course right okay you want to take a break tommy sure. you want to fill our glasses a little bit yeah you need some water uh oh Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean uh, bourbon? I, I meant yes, of the of the right, of the bourbon nature. It. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, so before we continue on with the next segment, I wanted to be sure to say to my listeners to please drink responsibly. Make sure you are 21 years of age or older to enjoy a beverage. And if you found yourself to have overindulged in any way, please drink many glasses of water, eat some food, maybe take a couple milligrams of ibuprofen and get home safely. Don't drink and drive folks. Bourbon is supposed to be sipped, not chugged. And on that note, let's get going to the rest of the show. Welcome back from the break. So while we were on break, Tommy set up this array of bourbons. So what do we have here, Tommy? So I have taken it upon myself over quarantine to build a bar. Not literally a, you know, bar, but rather a stockpile of bottles. (laughs) And (laughs) I have started to hone in on my own bourbon tastes because this is, I've had an opportunity to do so. And today... I have an all-time favorite of mine, a daily sipper, one that is recommended by lots and lots of bartenders, and then a rye whiskey. So my all-time favorite is the one we're going to start with. All right, let's do it. Basil Hayden's. Cheers. Cheers. So So you sniff? So what you kind of want to do... Oh, excuse me. So different bourbons have different viscosities. Okay. So we want to kind of see, you know, what's going on with it? Does it have legs? Is it kind of... So this one... Has legs, yeah? A little bit. Yeah. It's not not the most I've ever seen. Legs meaning that you can see the alcohol stay on the side of the glass once after once swirling. Exactly. So we are drinking this out of Glencairn glasses. If you're not familiar with Glencairn glasses, they kind of look like a tulip. Yeah. And they are great for drinking alcohol. Most people use them for whiskey, but I've seen them used for rum too, because it brings the aromas forward in a way that drinking it out of a wider brimmed glass does not do. So, right. cheers. Cheers. Okay. Yeah. Basil Hayden is an 80 proof whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's 80 proof bourbon whiskey. That is actually the lowest proof that a bourbon whiskey can technically be. Okay. So uh, if you notice, it is a, it has a little bit of a spice note. 
yes. on it yes. in the middle there. Yes, I feel it like on the like kind of tip of my tongue. Yeah, yeah. but it's not a burn. No, no, it and was very pleasant. Exactly, it's yeah. a very. It wasn't a, like just completely. Just smooth. Yeah, it was very smooth. Yeah, it's very very delicious. So I this is uh, my dad's favorite bourbon as oh, well. Well, but I've I've grown to very much appreciate it, and as I moved to Minnesota, I learned that it is significantly more expensive up here than it is in Texas. Well, so there's certain things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we finishing it? Oh, mm-hmm. We're f- mm-hmm. oh okay. <laughs> no, we can just do let's, let's chat. Okay. I was just I was just Yay. sipping, enjoying. Okay, we don't okay, need okay, to go okay. through them all. I was right like, we're away. chugging it. No, 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 no. Okay, no, it was really nice. Basil Hayden is a part of the Jim Beam family, and it is one of their small batch bourbons which it's varied over time but they use a uh, a smaller amount of barrels to pour into one batch and it can depending on the distillery i forget exactly what jim beam is but it might be between 100 and 200 barrels got it uh other breweries will do 10 barrels mm-hmm. um but it just you know just kind of depends so that's usually what small batch when you see it on the label that means exactly yeah. so like i was lucky enough to get a barrel select bourbon oh i see so which i mean we can get into all this sort of craziness if we want but like there are different labels for different kinds of bourbons that indicate how long it's been aged how long which means how long it sat in In a charred oak barrel okay um, are they all in charred oak? Yes. Okay. A, uh, in order for whiskey to be legally bourbon, there are several rules. It has to be American. It doesn't have to be, but Ooh. legally in America, to call it American bourbon whiskey, of course you do. Okay. As far right. as I... well, wait. Well, there's Japanese whiskey, but there's no. Jap- they don't call that bourbon. They don't, right? No. Yeah. That's Japanese whiskey. Right. The okay. different thing. Uh, it has a 51% corn mash bill. Uh, what does that mean? So that's a great question so a mash bill is the raw grains and other materials that are seeped in hot water and then set at a specific temperature in order to promote enzyme uh, uh, activity within there so that it can get all the carbohydrates and sugars and stuff which then become eventually fermented and so on and so forth Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so all of these have different mash bills got it which means that different proportions of corn versus wheat versus rye versus whatever else they want to put in there but in order to be bourbon it has to be at least half Corn. corn right yes. got it got it got it and basil hayden is interesting because although it is at a lower proof it is not as alcoholic it does have a higher rye mash bill than mm-hmm. is normal for most bourbons so that's why that sort of spice that you taste ah it. so the last one we have here old rittenhouse rye we'll get there but you'll understand what i mean uh, oh yeah it will come it will be full circle <laughs> exactly okay i'm excited yeah. shall we go on to the next one we sure can all right Tell me all about it. What's this one? So this one is Elijah Craig, small batch. This is made by Heaven Hill Distillery. This is a 94 proof bourbon. Shoot, it, what was the other one again? Basil Hayden's. Yeah. Proof. Oh, 80 proof. 80 proof. 94. Got it. Got it. Okay, so okay. this is more alcoholic. Right. Now, I haven't read the entire book yet, smell but it. the amount of casual flipping through a book called The Cocktail Codex and several other publications I've read also all recommend Elijah Craig as the quintessential American bourbon. It is tasty. It's kind of the bourbon greatest hits. It's at a low price point as well, generally speaking. Sure. So anyway, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Oh, are we supposed to talk about the legs? Yeah, we can. I mean, they all have legs, you know, this one. So this one, I think, actually has more. More? Yeah, because it's more alcohol. Yeah. So take a sniff. Ooh, definitely more ethanol. I know, it burns my nostrils. Yeah, my nostrils. More ethanol, for sure. All right, cheers. 
the other thing that it's kind of maybe this is maybe another funny story mm-hmm. for me i have drank straight bourbon for a while and mm-hmm. for whatever reason it was maybe one of the first nights that tommy and i were sitting on their porch just having a, a nice glass of bourbon mm-hmm. and he asked me if i knew how to drink bourbon and i don't know why but i did it wrong this particular or maybe i have to i don't know maybe i've done it wrong more times but he taught me the most correct way of drinking bourbon, which is as you're drinking the bourbon, you actually want to make sure you're exhaling. Basically, yeah. The cardinal rule is you just don't want to inhale while there's like bourbon in your... While you're swallowing bourbon. Yes. You want to like... I have to do it. It's so hard. I can't like... No, no, don't it. do yeah. it. Don't. You're going to hurt yourself. Well, no, no, no. I'm not going to do the wrong oh, thing. Oh, I, I have see. to do okay, the okay, right okay, thing okay, in order. Okay. So it's more that you kind of have to hold your breath. Yeah, you have to hold your breath, swallow, and then you can exhale. Yes, exactly. So right. you have to hold your breath while you're drinking it in, which is take a, a good whiff of the bourbon before you smell it. But while you're actually sipping it in, don't breathe in through your nose. Right. That is bad times. Right. That <laughs> is not... Which is what happened that one night yes. when Tommy was asking me, and then I did, and I was like coughing, and he was yes. like, "Have you? do you know the right way of drinking? I was like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, so I will say learning... It was a friend of mine in college who taught me how to do it, but that's really what took me from being, you know, sort of the stereotypical college drinker where you're shooting alcohol and like sipping beer or whatever. Right, right. To being able to begin to enjoy uh, the craft uh, of all this, exactly, and mm-hmm. being getting past that alcohol ethanol taste immediately because sure. you know there's I, a lot of complexity. There's tons of complexity, yeah, and it's something that like you know the longer you do it for, the more you get to know it. And I've only I do not consider myself at all an expert in any of this. Uh, that's that, an enthusiast, perhaps. Yes, is the way uh, I would I would. This is it. another passion of yours outside of music. Oh, music is my job. Oh, I see. <laughs> 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 okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. Check. All right. So to talk about the Elijah Craig. Yes. This was to me the burn felt a little bit more with the Basil Hayden. That kind of stayed in my in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. But this one kind of felt like it burned a little bit in my throat more. So in like a pleasurable way, not so a bad way. So what I would recommend, and I actually with, had a similar thought, and I went back then and tasted. Uh, oh, okay. I'll do that again. Now. And I often find, and I think that most bourbon enthusiasts will agree that the first first sip of something generally isn't the best you Mm. kind of have to like acclimate your mouth to it to it Mm. and then you're able to sort of parse out the different flavors and you know the nuances within there and especially you know we just opened that bottle yeah that's true um yeah bourbon much like wine kind of has to interact with the air and breathe a little bit to let the flavors do their thing yeah so sometimes that first pour maybe isn't the greatest, and okay. like, so you have to go back and so sip try, again. So yeah. I'll try the Elijah Craig one more time. Let's try one more time, and then I want you to compare the two of them with each other. This one seems sweeter. Isn't that interesting? Am I not wrong? No, isn't okay. that interesting? Even though it's more alcohol? Yeah. It's a more saccharine. It's a little... So the other thing about Basil Hayden that I didn't mention is it does have a higher wheat mash bill mm-hmm. than most other whiskeys. Got and it. And so it's considered a wheater, a weeded bourbon, yeah. if you will. Or it's in that same family. I don't think it's a straight weeded bourbon. It's a different kind of sweetness, I think, versus that, you know, alcohol sweetness that right. you're getting more from the Elijah yeah. Craig. The Elijah Craig higher. is more on the wine side. 
side to me of, mm-hmm. of sweetness from alcohol. It's exactly. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. It, no, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. So moving forward, we sure can. Yeah. So this one is my uncle Kevin says he used to drink this all the time in college. This was his go-to. I'm scared. It's become one of my favorite bourbons. And yeah. Some people turn their nose up at it, absolutely. But as far as price and what I was talking about with the Bourbon Greatest Hits, this is Wild Turkey 101. Mm -hmm. This is not a drink that you're going to like serve as the greatest bourbon. But as far as like, if you want a glass of something, you know, not super complex, you just want a bourbon. This is there. You can go get a handle of it for way cheaper than you can get everything else. I've grown to love it, especially at its price point. It's not the greatest right. thing in the world. Right. And I wanted us to have better ones before we sort of Dove look at into. this. Because then I think you can actually appreciate no, that. Like enough. this is, you know, this not... is way cheaper than the other ones, but not too bad. So anyway. Cheers. Cheers. Be sure to take a sip of water, too, before you... Uh... Before it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just cleanse your palate. Oh. So this is 101 proof, so this is... That's 101, huh? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wait, and the legs. There is... This one is not very leggy. Nope. Down the hatch. Huh. You have a pained look on your no, face. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I'm actually quite shocked, because yeah? had I... I mean, did I undersell it a little bit? Uh, yeah. Okay. You did, okay. but you know, I probably the thing is, if I were to walk into a liquor store, I would not pick this up. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. I would be like, because I usually, actually, to be honest, like if I <laughs> back when I had a little bit more money, I um I would go and get Four Roses small yeah, batch. Yeah. You know, like sure. I or I'd get Tumbleton Rye. I would yep. get you know. Uh, All well, great I also bottles. get Bullet Bullet Rye too, or Bullet Bourbon. I also drink that too straight, but I also like to make that into cocktails. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. though okay right now what i'm experiencing is that there's a real slow burn going down my my throat here that's the high proof i think yeah that's the one i mean it feels nice it just it's like okay i need to take us you need to take a second Mm -hmm. (laughs) some people call that the kentucky hug oh is that so (laughs) that is hi pepper for our viewers at home uh gabby and i's dog uh sergeant pepper just invited himself oh anytime i'm over he just wants i'm i mean because it's i'm a new person (laughs) he wants to hang out with me and sit on my lap so that's what he's trying to do right now so excuse the snorting noises hi pepper he's a american bulldog rescue and we don't know how to not love him so there's no way and every anyone who meets him is gonna love him Anyway. Yeah. You can sit on my lap. Are you sure? Yeah, come on. Okay. Come on, Pepper. Go come up. On. You can go up. Hi, Pepper. Come sit in my lap. There we go. All right. So where are we at? I was talking about the Kentucky hug. The Kentucky hug. Yes. So that's that little last bit of heat on the way down. And I find it generally happens at the higher alcohol, the higher proof bourbons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still feel it. Yeah, that with a cigar is a is it's a peculiar combination that I've been smoking cigars for ten years or whatever now, and every now and then I still kind of have to put it down and take a few nice, calm, deep breaths through my nose and kind of settle it all. So, in. is there a particular bourbon that you ideally pair with a cigar? I don't think there's a particular bourbon. I think I will try different pairings. Certainly, during this quarantine, I've developed a cigar habit. We can call it. Uh, dis- Discovery. This, yes, 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 yes. Precisely. A cigar discovery. A cigar exploration. Exploration. If we will. 
I've, I've tried different bourbons and I have found that I actually like the higher proof ones with a cigar because I don't sip them as much and it's odd. I don't know if I'm tricking myself into it or maybe I'm just making it up, but I find that the spiciness of the, the more alcoholic one cuts through the smokiness of the cigar and the mm, tobacco flavor a bit more I versus see. a milder, smoother flavor profile like the Basil Hayden we had yeah. first. That It would still be good, but you know, we're trying to cultivate a flavor experience and that's totally. I think that's one way of going about doing it yeah the other thing too is that you also have different cigars that have different flavors with them too right yeah sometimes I've gotten in the habit of buying sort of bulk 10 or 20 packs at a time so I usually will spend a minute on each of those but yeah no cigars of course are you know in they a have lot their own e- flavor oh, profile gosh yeah there yeah. I would say there are even more varieties of cigar than there are bourbon and whiskey in general. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a whole other heady community that I feel no We could do another in. episode on. Yeah, I mean, look, give me a couple <laughs> of years, let me smoke a few hundred more dollars of cigars, and, like, it'll be fine, you know? Sure. Yeah. So you would probably, at the current moment, pair the wild turkey with a cigar. Yeah, yeah. I was working through a bottle of Knob Creek Small Batch that was on sale. Uh, I just polished it off, I think. But that was really great because that was also a high-proof bourbon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just great. But yeah, of the ones we're doing, I'd, I've done Elijah Craig with a cigar lots of times, and that actually is high enough that it works very well. Sure. So Yeah. Should we move on to the final? Sure. So this last one is... Is another one of those bartender recommended bottles. It's called Old Rittenhouse Rye. It's Pepper's favorite, as you can hear. <laughs> well, I think Pepper saw a fly. <laughs> <laughs> Old Rittenhouse Rye is bottled in bond. In bond? Yes. So what that means is that it is bottled in charred oak barrel for at least four years and that it is at least 100 proof. Okay. So, Very specific. Yes. And this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. There are all sorts of different designations you can give your bourbon. But this is one of those more specific ones. And lots of other, we call varieties of bourbon expressions. Lots of other <laughs> expressions of bourbon. We'll also have a bottled in bond or a small batch variety like I think we mentioned previously. Yes. Yes. And these are just different ways of doing it. Because, you know, if you go to the store and you, you're looking at the sea of bourbons in front of you, you start at the bottom and you're looking at something like an Evan Williams. And Evan Williams is fine, or a wild turkey even. And those are fine bourbons. There's nothing wrong with them. What you're paying for at that price point, though, is basically a mishmash and a mixture of hundreds of different barrels of whiskey. It's like sort of this massive sea of median. And Mm. the way they store the barrels in the warehouses, the literal position in the warehouse, they'll choose sort of much like a cut of meat, the center cut is... Is usually the finest whereas sure. the further out you get the hotter it is so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the furthest out is like the low level stuff you know the jack daniels the evan williams of right. the world the right. second the wild turkeys the second level is that uh, elijah craig the third level is that or inner sanctum if you will yes. it kind of goes more and more specific until yeah. you can buy full proof which is 125 proof very viscous thick it's mm-hmm. like whiskey whiskey it tastes like whiskey's dad <laughs> anyway that was an epic tangent no, no, that was an explanation is what that was. And so this old Rittenhouse is 100 proof, bottled in bond. It's a rye whiskey. Um, right, so here we're going to make the full circle. Exactly, so it's it's a spicy guy. Cheers. Cheers. I like rye. I do too. Yeah, I don't know. It's sweeter. Isn't that fun? I find them sweeter. And like, I find that the flavor goes 
more focused. Yeah, sure. In your mouth. And it's a bit wetter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, am I just making this up? I don't think. No, I think you're describing maybe like viscosity, perhaps. Perhaps. Like, because it is like, it looks, you know, I'm swirling it around in my, in my glass. And it, it, especially when compared with something that's kind of thinner. Like yeah, sure. I see turkey. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it splashes a bit more. Yeah. So it, it coats mm -hmm. your tongue versus sort of running over yeah. your tongue. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I like, I don't know. I like a rye. I'm a person, I'm a rye girl. I like rye as well. I've, I've always been a rye. And the best thing about rye is that you can buy some really affordable bottles that are fantastic, especially if you're making a cocktail with them. Sure. Old Overholt rye, for example. This one you should. Oh yeah. Could you, do you want to do price points? For oh yes, of course. So yeah, this is Minnesota. Obviously this all varies region by region. Sure. So we started at the high end with the Basil Hayden, which I've seen for retail usually between 35 to 40-ish or so. Okay. Then the Elijah Craig small batch, I see anywhere from 22 to 29. Mm -hmm. Then there's the wild turkey, which for a 750, usually you can run between 19 to 22 or so. Mm -hmm. 750 milliliters, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Sorry. And then this bottle of old Rittenhouse rye, I got it for 20 20, but I've seen it for slightly less at some other places. Sure. Bourbon is great because you really can find affordable, drinkable on their own options for as little as 18, 19 bucks, you know? Right. You and can, if it's not, you can just make it into a cocktail. And you're, precisely. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So that old overhaul rye, the reason I got on this tangent is 13 bucks but yeah. it's listen if you're gonna make an old-fashioned or a manhattan perfect it's what i was talking about it hits what tastes like rye whiskey to me and what i want to look for when i'm sipping rye and it's cheap i'm sorry like i've had very good expensive rye whiskeys and they're delicious and i understand it but like the difference between them doesn't seems minimal exactly compared to their price point yeah mm -hmm. what's your favorite out of these today today the elijah craig was really hitting me really mm -hmm. huh if you had all the money in the world and you could buy this bottle regularly in your bar stash. Me and Pepper's favorite whiskey is Old Rip Van Winkle. It's called Pappy Van Winkle. And I've seen it sold in at least three expressions. I think there's a 10, a 15, maybe a 17, and then like a 20 or something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. And I've had the 10 and the 15 and they are both unbelievably good. And this is one of those, like, you know, you ask a bourbon head about Pappy, and it's, it's like the white whale. Nobody can really find it, and the only, you know, if you find it on a shelf somewhere, you're gonna have to buy it for 1,500 bucks or some craziness yeah, like that. right, right, right. Which, that's not worth it. I don't drink bourbon to buy stuff like that. I've Yet. I've, well, yet. When I've celebrated in the past, I've bought, like, a $100 bottle. Sure. And it's good, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's like, oh, not worth it no but, but like is it worth it like for yeah. the purposes of what i'm doing it you like, could get wild turkey five or six depending on the price yeah, yeah. bottles of and, whatever we have in front of us and they're delicious and that's exactly and that's sort of the the point of my journey that i'm on you know until i am a well gabby's father he has a great taste in bourbon and he can afford his great taste in bourbon mm -hmm. one of the many many reasons i love going to their house is he's very generous with his bourbon and, <laughs> and cigars it, yeah 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 Yes, exactly. And it's always a treat getting to sort of punch above my weight for a little while sure. as far as bourbon goes uh, yeah. before we come back to good old wild turkey. Anyway, all that is to say, Pappy Van Winkle's really good. 10 and 15 year expressions. They're both amazing. But that's not super original. I would say the more, it's actually same distillery. The best bottle I've had recently was a single barrel selection of Eagle 
rare, just freaking fantastic, surprisingly delicious. And especially we compared it with the normal Eagle Rare that you can buy on the shelf, and it was a massive difference. I think Pepper is being a guest on the podcast. Absolutely, no, he is a welcomed guest. Yeah, lick, lick, lick. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Tommy, for sharing your bourbon with me Mm -hmm. and sharing your knowledge of bourbon with Mm -hmm. me. And, I mean, I look forward to many days of bourbons and potential cigars on the porch. There will be many. I'm going to leave you with a couple questions. What, in your opinion, is the most common misconception of classical musicians or the classical music world? I think the most common misconception, perhaps, is that... Classical music can't be relevant. Yeah, that is old. Yeah, I mean... It, all the people are dead who wrote it, although right. that's, that's not true, but... it's Okay, so this is sort of a weird example, but back in 2015, there was some... I don't know if it was a journalist or a, a academic or somebody, but somebody basically came across some publications from way back in the day, like 19th century, turn of, to the 20th century, suggesting that Beethoven was black. Right. And I spend way too much of my day on social media and, re- you know, looking at stupid pictures and memes and stuff. And I saw, I think it was a TikTok of a guy, video of a guy who was like, wait, so Beethoven's black. And it was a dude like kind of freaking out like at how good it was. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because he was overreacting and like it was a joke. But I think there's some real truth in that. Like the first time somebody listens to something like that, you know, that kind of stuff can really touch them in a way that words can can't do or like I've seen another video of a dude who I think just posts reaction videos to thing and he like watched Pavarotti sing Nessun Dorma from Turn Dot. And he, like, lost it at that. I don't know. Like, that's sort of one of the main reasons I wanted to be a singer and wanted to perform and share classical music with people was because I think it is relevant. I think it can make you feel things, consider things, and give you a new perspective on stuff. And also, you don't need words. I don't know. I just think, like... Well, that's funny that you say that because you're a singer and you actually use words. But but, you don't. But, but, like, I've fallen in love with arias without knowing anything anything what they're about. Right. Just because of the way the music made me feel and like you know to sort of tie a bow on that i just think we need more empathy in our world and in our lives and allowing yourself to be moved or be open to be moved by a piece of music can be the beginning to that to being more empathetic and i think that in essence is what it is to be human that might tie into my second question so tell me if i'm wrong or not Uh but my second question was after all the impact that covid has done to classical music what do you think is something positive that will enhance and carry on in our profession and you're talking about empathy i think that this complete stoppage of the world the last few months has basically forced people to become more introspective Mm -hmm. and i think that you know i've spent a ton of time listening to lots of music well like when i go on runs i like to listen to opera it's weird i know Um, (laughs) there's just this way that people used to play like everything was the end of the world and that every note meant everything to them you're and i'm not saying that there aren't people that still do that you're meaning this is a generation yeah, ago like generation yeah. two generations right. ago that every note was their soul in some facet yeah. and that somehow that got commercialized perhaps. well and i think these are people that either lived through world wars or their parents did or they had relatives people they know that died and we seem to have just lost this thought of humanity mm. we make art because it's that's what humans do that's one of the things we've always done our entire existence is make art whether it was sticks Uh, or stones or or cave 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 paintings or what 
forever. It's just something we've always done. And like, I just think we've, as a society, as a culture, as a planet, gotten off of this and become in these little insulated bubbles. And in a weird way, this insulation of the last few months has opened us up to sort of realize that we are more than these little insulated bubbles. And totally, it's made us understand how important it is to connect and to empathize with people. I keep going back to that. You right, know? that's what and I'm like, saying, yeah. It's, anyway, so I, I just hope that we, I don't want to act like we weren't taking it seriously before or anything like but that. that. But that we like, will take this moment in our lives of isolation mm-hmm. and whatever or whatever we were feeling during COVID and that that will be a part of our expression in the future. If, yeah. if I may put words in your mouth. That's exactly, I think, what I'm getting at. Okay. I, yeah, you summed okay. it up quite Okay, succinctly. good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> Is there any way that we can get in touch with you? We can follow you on any handle? Sure. I maintain a professional presence on Facebook, of course. You can go there, Thomas Glass Baritone. But um, I am far more active on Twitter. Please go ahead, give me a follow, at Tommy-Glass. Yeah, go ahead. I tweet a little bit about opera, but it's mostly football and my views on the world. Yeah, and I am looking forward to seeing you on the stage so soon. You are going to be an amazing baritone, and I'm so excited to follow your career. Thank you, Patty. I'm honored to know you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please subscribe and leave a hopefully positive review on Apple Podcasts. It helps this podcast reach more people, and it makes me feel good. You can also give feedback at our email hideandmusicstand at gmail.com if there's something you'd like to suggest or just say hi. Sharing with your friends and family is a free way to support this podcast. And if you would like, you may also visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hideandmusicstand. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all at hideandmusicstand to access more content. Thanks for being on the show, Tommy. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Patty. And thanks for listening. Sushi, say bye. My favorite whiskey. I'll start it over. We need to. Okay. All right.